you would have your Bibles open with me to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to take as our text verse 24, where Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wonder if I was to ask you when you came in this morning, what does it mean to be a Christian, what your answer would be? There are many different ways that we can define what a Christian is. Uh, We could define a Christian as somebody who has experienced God's forgiveness. We could define a Christian as somebody who has repented of their sins, uh, somebody who has put their faith in what Christ has done uh, on the cross. We could describe a Christian as somebody who's experienced the grace of God. Well, all of these things would be right and true. But I think one way we can describe or define a Christian is uh, in that phrase that we had, even in that hymn we just sang, Now I belong to Jesus. And that's my theme for us this evening. Now I belong to Jesus. As Jesus, that's really a summary of this definition Jesus gives us in verse 24. Three things we have here that have to do with being a Christian and with what Christ now takes ownership of as those who belong to him. Christ takes control. That's what it means to be a Christian, someone who knows Christ's ownership and rule in his or her life. Now, you'll note that the things that Jesus says here are not exactly the most positive things. To deny himself, take up his cross, and to follow Christ. And as we look at each of these things, we're going to see that there's a a rather negative side, we might think to these things. And there certainly is a serious, sobering element to uh, what it means to be a Christian and belonging to Jesus. But we're also going to see that when we rightly understand these things, these are the most wonderful things to know. And so three things then about belonging to Jesus as we summarize uh, this verse. First of all, Jesus wants control of our desires. To belong to Jesus means that Jesus has control of our desires. And this is uh, this first thing that Jesus says. The one who would come after Jesus is to deny himself. Now, let me begin by saying what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that the person who's denying himself is, is dismissing his own or her own personal identity. This is not a person who is to pretend to be something that they are not. Rather, it's got a a specific meaning of denying what one might wish for for himself or herself in order to obey the wishes of another. You set aside your own desires in order that you might satisfy the desires of another. There's a change of ownership of heart. This is what Jesus wants. He wants a person to deny himself. Jesus wants full control of our mind, of our heart, of our interests, of our attitudes, of our motives. And so two elements to this. Firstly, we see the restriction 
of this. This is the rather negative side to it. And this is, isn't it, a negative command. Jesus says, let him deny himself. And Jesus could have put this in a different way, couldn't he? Jesus could have said, let him give his heart to me. He could have said, let him put me first. But he didn't. He said, let him deny himself. This is a person who needs to say no. And the reason Jesus puts it, I think, in this way is so that we might have a better grasp of the restrictiveness, the exclusiveness of what Jesus is commanding and what it means to be a Christian. This is a a restrictive thing. Things have to be put aside for the sake of becoming a Christian. Now, this is very opposite to what our society teaches us. We're told, aren't we, that we are to be those who accept ourselves. Find yourself. Pursue your own desires. Find your own way in life. Do whatever you like. Take whichever road of life you fancy. Well, not so with Jesus. Jesus would have the Christian to know that his path is an exclusive path and it's restricted to him. To follow Jesus means we must deny ourselves. We must reject all other paths. We must reject all other loves. We must have Christ and Christ alone. Many people don't like this. Many people in their attitude toward religion have the idea that all roads lead to Rome. Doesn't matter what you do in life. You'll, you'll get there in the end, wherever there is. Many people don't even know uh, where they're going. But you, you'll be accepted by God. You'll get to heaven. Just take whichever way you like. Well, this is an utterly false conception. And the idea is this, that we remain in control. That we get to hold on to whatever desires are our own. And then God will kind of just sort it out in the end. That's not what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to allow Jesus to have control of our desires. It means to deny ourselves all other roots, to allow God to have control. You see, God is not, is not just concerned about where we end up, but he's concerned about the way we get there. And it's an exclusive, restricted way. It's not a case of all roads lead to Rome. No, this is a single track salvation. I don't know if you've ever been, well, particularly in Scotland, I remember it, in various uh, rural places. You'll have these very narrow roads, single track, and, and it's too narrow for you to pass each other. And so if you meet another car or that's coming the other way, you've got to find a passing place. One car will probably have to reverse up the other way so that you can get past. It's narrow, it's restricted, uh, and, and it's closed in, and that's the way it is. The way of salvation is, is one way. And so then, Jesus is saying here, if we are to come after Jesus, we need to lose the freedom of loving ourselves. And we must love him and follow him exclusively. It's interesting that this word used here of denying himself is the same word that's used of Peter when he denies Jesus. You remember Peter three times when Jesus is on trial? And he he denies the Lord Jesus. Jesus had warned him about it before. And what was Peter doing when he was denying Jesus? Well, he he was saying, I don't know this man. I don't know who he is. And this is the picture we've got here. 
There's to be this, this sort of forgetfulness of who we are, this holy amnesia, if we can put it in those terms. A forgetfulness of our old self and our old desires. It's as if we don't know who we are. We're concerned with Jesus. And this is not just about religious ideas, but this is to cover all of our affections in life. Paul puts it in this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, it's, it's not his own life anymore. The ownership has changed, and so it's Jesus' desires that come first now in his life. And Jesus himself is the greatest example of this. I think it was mentioned this morning, the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Lord Jesus there, he lays aside his own desires. As he's going to the cross, everything about the cross is it, 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 it's repulsive to him. And yet he sets aside that, that repulsion because he knows that it's the Father's will for him to go there. And so he sets aside his own desires. He denies himself and he goes to the cross, not as I will, but as you will, he prays. He said no to himself that he might say yes to his heavenly Father. And he did it because his desires were no longer himself. They belonged to his heavenly Father. Well, he always had done. He always did his Father's will. And Jesus wants the same for us. He wants us to desire his will. And that's not an easy thing. It requires restrictions in our lives. Maybe you've experienced this. You've gone on a diet. You said, no, I'm not going to have any, any junk food, no fast food, no, no donuts, no ice cream, no chips. And then you're walking along the road one day. There's this lovely waft of the smell of fatty cooking. You think, oh, that smells so good. And you're just tempted to, to go into that shop and buy that food. But you know you've set a restriction for yourself. I'm on a diet, and so I'm not going to do that. And so what are you having to do in that case? Well, you're having to discipline yourself, restrict yourself for your own good. But it's a hard thing, isn't it? There's got to be a rule that, that governs that desire. And so it has to be for us. There are desires that we have, even as Christians, that, that are wrong. We, we want to do things that are displeasing to God, things that God does not want us to do. And so we must restrict ourselves. There's got to be a new impulse within us because God's desire is for us to glorify him. And so that means we've got to say no to sin and yes to Christ and to his ways of righteousness. Doesn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Paul says this, doesn't he, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he goes on to list a whole number of sins that we are to put to death. In other words, you've got to make action to, to destroy those, those old desires. Forget them. Deny them. And everything is to come under the rule of Christ. Again, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says that we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it's not just our actions, but even our very thoughts are to be subject to Christ. And I think we can extend this. This restriction is not just 
not doing what is sinful, but, but choosing to do the very best for Jesus. There may be some things in our lives which are good and right, maybe in their place, but it's not the best thing we could be doing. We're to do everything for Jesus. We're to follow uh, him in, in every desire that he has for us. Well, there's restriction, and that seems very negative, doesn't it? There are things we can't do. Don'ts. Now, I'm sure you children love rules, don't you? Don't do this. Don't do this. You love those, don't you? No, not, not convincing looks. No, we don't like rules, do we? Restrictions. But here's the amazing thing. Restrictions bring us freedom. They bring us freedom. See, here's the funny thing. We think freedom is to do as we please. No restraints. I get to do whatever I want. Think about it for a moment. Is that real freedom? Let me give you a couple of illustrations that might help us. Imagine two men for a moment who are living on an island. They're there by themselves. The whole island. Well, it's not a big island. Big enough just about for, for the two of them. There they are, stranded on this island. One day a boat comes by and a, and a, a lifeboat is put off that big boat and they come across to the island to rescue this. Come on into the boat. One of the men says, yeah, great. I want to get off this island. I'll get into that boat. But the other man says, why would I restrict myself to that little boat? I've got this whole island to myself. I can enjoy my freedom here. Why would I restrict myself to uh, that little floating vessel? Who's more free? The one who remains on his little island or the one who's taken out to the freedom of the wide world that lies beyond. Let me give you a different illustration. An illustration of war. Imagine there are soldiers who are picking a path through a minefield. And there's one soldier that's in the front with his mine detector. And he's checking if there are any mines in their path. And when he finds a mine, he uh, defuses it so that it won't blow up. And gradually they're picking their way through this field. And all the soldiers are behind, following in line. Then one of the soldiers says, look, this is so ridiculous. Why are we restricting ourselves to this narrow path? I'm just going to take my freedom and march across this field. Well, you can tell what's going to happen. What's going to happen to him? He's going to stand on a mine, isn't he, and be blown up. Is that real freedom? You see, there is a, there is a freedom to restriction that brings us under control, that leads us to life, a path to true freedom. Jesus speaks in this way, doesn't he? He speaks about how really we're all under control. We're all under an authority of one kind or another. If we're not under Jesus, really we're under the power of sin, which is no freedom at all. Because if we're under the control of sin, then we have no freedom to be, obey Christ. We have no freedom to obey God. People like to think, don't they? Oh, well, I can choose to obey God or not. But that's not true at all. We can't really please God. It, our hearts are just so, so gripped by the power of evil. But Jesus says the truth will set you free. If we come to know Jesus, he takes control of our desires. And then we find freedom, the freedom to serve God. The freedom to love him, the freedom to obey him, the freedom to choose what pleases him. You couldn't do that in your old life. But then you're able to do what is, what is best for you. And you see, that's what's most healthy for you. 
To choose whatever you like for yourself might feel like freedom, but it will lead to your destruction. And so then we need to be taught by the desires of Christ to love the things that are most healthy for our souls. There needs to be a, a detox, as it were, from our old addictions. We need to be given new desires. And that's only possible when we hand over control of our desires to the Lord Jesus and we give our love to him alone. Jesus then wants control of our desires. He also wants control of our destination. He has to deny himself and take up his cross. Well, again, this is rather negative, isn't it? The cross means only one thing, death. That's what Jesus is calling the Christian to, a destination of death. They would have been familiar with criminals who were sentenced to this awful, painful death, and they would be forced to carry this great wooden contraption. And they would be forced to to carry it to the place where it would be put in the ground, and then they would be uh, crucified on it. And even just the carrying of that heavy wooden burden was a form of torture in itself. An awful, an awful thing. And of course, where are they going as they carry the cross? Well, they're heading off to the place of their execution. So what is Jesus saying here as he says, take up your cross? Well, he's saying, you need to follow me up the hill of Golgotha. I'm going to lead you up to a place of death. Now, I think we need to rightly understand what it means to take up uh, the cross. We often think of this, I think, in terms of the, the sort of troubles that we face in our lives, uh, sicknesses, ill health, family trouble, uh, difficult decisions. These are the kinds of things we think of as our cross to bear. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus has in mind as he's saying that we need to take up our cross. Because the truth is everyone suffers those things, don't they? Everyone in the world faces sicknesses and family troubles and so on. This is a special kind of suffering for the Christian. Uh, this is something that is unique to the one who follows Jesus. It is a unique destination. And it will help us then if we think about who is doing the crucifying. Who is the one who is making us take up this cross? Well, it's the world. The world that hates the Christian. Matthew chapter 10, I think, helps us to understand this. As Jesus says something similar there in a context which helps us understand what he means. Matthew chapter 10 from verse 34, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Do you see the context in which Jesus is saying this, of taking up the cross? It's this family friction, the hatred towards the person who's now become a Christian, who's following Jesus. And in, in this particular context, there are family members who are saying, why are you following Jesus? How awful, how terrible. And there's suffering as a result of professing to have trusted in Jesus. See, this is what the world does. The world puts Christians to death. And we know that because that's what happened to Jesus. 
He's the great example of it. He took up his cross. And why, would, why did he die? Because the world hated him. His own Jewish people hated him. The Gentiles hated him. And didn't Jesus say, if they were going to hate him as the master, will they not also hate us as his servants? So Jesus here, he's not saying that every Christian necessarily is going to die a martyr's death. But what Jesus is saying is there is a guarantee of sorrow and pain and suffering through opposition and through ridicule. Of the world. Belonging to Jesus comes at the cost of, of rejecting the destinations of the world, the destinations of pleasure and happiness that they claim to offer. But you see, when we refuse to choose the ways of the world, the world says, Well, what are you doing? Why don't you like our ways? Well, if you won't be part of us, then we don't want to have anything to do with you. The world hates Christians. Now, we don't really see so much of that, do we, ourselves? We suffer so very little, and I think the truth is we're a rather rare group in history with the number of freedoms and liberties that we have. Scripture has an awful lot to say about persecution, and it's something that is guaranteed for those who follow Jesus. You see then, Jesus has said, hasn't he, about denying himself. There's a kind of pain, there's a kind of death that happens on the inside. Jesus also talks about a kind of death that comes from the outside as well. And we ought to willingly take up this death. Maybe there are small ways that that we feel pressure in our workplace. Maybe to cut corners and to do what we know would be going against our conscience. Maybe we experience some subtle scorn uh, about being a Christian. Certainly there are some who have a an abusive attitude toward uh, Christianity. And especially if we're those who are sharing uh, about the Christian faith. There are people who are strongly opposed uh, to anything uh, being shared with them about the Lord Jesus. Well, in the little ways that we suffer then, we, like the apostles in Acts chapter 5, ought to rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And we ought to delight that this is because we belong to Jesus. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We suffer whatever it is that must be suffered because we no longer belong to ourselves. So Jesus said this uh, to, uh, to Peter, didn't he? Uh, Peter was going to experience this in a very real way. In John chapter 21, uh, from verse 18, Jesus says this to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And interestingly, we read this, And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Well, that mirrors very well, doesn't it? Uh, what we see in what Jesus is saying to us here. Peter was going to have to take up his cross, and, and as tradition would have it, Peter did actually die on a cross, Peter the Apostle. He very literally had to take up his cross. Well, of course, that's mercifully, that's not what we have to necessarily suffer. But here's the point. Our lives are to become dispensable for Christ, expendable for Christ. Because our lives are no longer our own. They belong to Jesus. And so if we, if we do have to die, we die for him. Whatever way that may look. We're here for a time when we're gone. 
We're only here for a short time of service. But our lives are no longer our own. They belong to Jesus. But death, again, it's a, it's a very negative thing, isn't it? But here's the, the thing. There's another side to it because death is also the destination that leads to life. Death doesn't sound very inviting, doesn't it? But listen to what Jesus says in the verse after this. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, Jesus is saying, If you die, you will live. Death in this life, but life in the realm that is to come. This is the wonderful twist of the gospel. Christ will Save us. And by giving up our right to life here, we are obtaining the right to life above. Again, Christ is the example of this. He laid down his life, but he took it again. And now there he is, seated at the Father's right hand in glory, having received all honor and praise for what he has done. He is alive. And such it will be for all who follow him. We read... Uh, Paul's words on this theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Henry has been preaching on these things recently. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 10. Uh, he says this, that we are to be always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And he goes on then to say, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's looking forward to the resurrection. So he knows that in death he will find life. Well, it's worth it then, isn't it? It's worth it to die for Christ. It's worth it to go to the destination of death that we might ultimately find life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Control of our desires, control of our destination, but finally control of our directions. He is to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Imagine a hiker for a moment. The hiker has got to... Uh, the start of his walk, and he's chosen the path he's going to walk up the mountain. He knows the way he's going to go. It's a restricted way, an exclusive way. Well, he's got there, and now he's got his backpack on his back. He's got his, his heavy burden. Uh, he's, as it were, taken up his cross. What left is there? What, what is there left to do? Well, he now needs to start walking. He needs to start moving, taking steps forward along that path. And such it is uh, that Jesus would have us do. There's a negative command. He's to deny himself. A positive command. Take up his cross. And now action. Follow him. Take steps forward in faith. Well, again, we can see this uh, has what we might, see, what might seem to be a, a negative side. Because this means if Jesus is going to have control of the directions of our life, it means submission. Submission to Christ. Because we are no longer in charge of the direction of our lives. And we have to refuse, not, not only refuse our own control, as we thought earlier, denying ourselves, but we are to willingly submit to his authority and guidance. When Jesus says, take a right turn, we take a right turn. When he says, take a left turn, we take a left turn. We follow him in his directions. 
This means that we have to acknowledge that he knows better than we do. It's a matter of trust. It must be quite a nerve-wracking thing for a parent to first experience one of their children driving their car. You're handing over control uh, of this, this machine, dangerous machine. And the fear, of course, is in the fact that this child does not have great experience in driving this uh, vehicle. They know that, there is a, that there's a lack of, of practice But of course, if there's an experienced racing driver sitting in the seat instead, it's not going to be quite the same worry about indicating the wrong way at the turnings and drifting into the wrong lane in in traffic. It's an experienced driver. You're in safe hands. You see, who is in control makes a big difference, doesn't it? And we forget sometimes the one that we as Christians are following. And that is the Lord Jesus. He's the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He is the eternal God who's planned out the whole of history, never mind the whole of our lives. And so Jesus' rule, his resume for rule in our lives is incredible. He's perfectly, infinitely qualified to take control of your life and of my life. And yet still... (laughs) We struggle, don't we, to fully hand everything over to him, to really submit to him. There are sometimes twists and turns in our lives, and we feel confused. Why? Why this? Why are we going in this direction? This doesn't seem to be getting me where I thought I was going. I think sometimes it's good for us to be blind about the future. And we wish that we could read tomorrow, but it's good that we can't. Because it helps us trust in Jesus, to lean upon him and to know that he knows better. And we are in his safe hands to direct us. He's got the map. We don't need to have the map because we're following him. We must submit to him. But here's the positive. If we submit, there is reward. We can be comforted, can't we, by the assurance that Jesus knows where he's going. He knows where he's leading us. And so it removes a stress, doesn't it, from us. I was mentioning this to, to Vicky the other day. It's true, isn't it? If you've ever led a walk or if you're driving somebody somewhere, there's a stress, isn't there? You think you're responsible for these people. You've got to get them to the right place at the right time. And maybe you're having a conversation with somebody, but you're, you're only half concentrating because you're so busy thinking about where you're going, and it's a tiring thing. But of course, for everybody who's behind you or sitting in the back seat, well, they're just happily chatting away. They, they, they don't mind. Or so-and-so is driving us there, so that's fine. They know where they're going. Well, so it is for us. There's this reward of peace, of rest. Jesus knows where he's going. We're just, we're just following him. See, that's the joy of submission. You, you think you're somebody who, who maybe wants to take control of your life. I don't want somebody else controlling my life. All right, well, all the stress is on you, isn't it? You've got to make the direction in your life. And for the person who follows Jesus, yes, we've got to submit. But we have the joy of knowing he knows where he's going. We get to sit back and relax because he is in control. What a wonderful thing that is. But of course, there's a further reward, isn't there? The reward that we read in verse 27, when Jesus returns. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. There's going to be a reward for service. He'll give returns to those who've submitted to his rule in their lives. He'll reward faithfulness. He'll reward love. He'll reward humble labor. 
And so then, the more that we give what we have and are to him, the more he will give what he has and is to us. What a wonderful thing that is. Now, these rewards are something of a mystery. What exactly will that look like? Well, we can't be sure, but we can be sure of this. It's worth having. These rewards are worth having because they're from Jesus. And we know it will be glorious. Well then, let me ask you tonight. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is to be a Christian? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? It means to belong to Jesus. Do you belong to Jesus this evening? Are you willing to give him control of your desires? Are you willing to give him ownership of your destination? Are you willing to give him control over the directions of your life? It's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. Jesus puts it in these difficult terms to make us realize that there's a cost to becoming a Christian. But there's also great reward. And dear Christian here this evening, I hope you know much of that reward. Count the pain of being a Christian, worthy of following Christ. Yes, there's restrictions upon our desires, but in in restricting ourselves, we're finding freedom. In dying, we're finding life. In submitting, we're obtaining reward. Oh, ought we not then to rejoice that we belong to Jesus? Well, may God bless his word to our hearts. We'll 